0: common suffering of a parent not sleeping ever right did did mlk suffer through that did he not sleep a lot not just because of all the challenges he's going through but like because of his kids crying throughout the night and yes he did the montgomery bus boycotts were just about to begin and the night before his first daughter wouldn't sleep the entire night so mlk is just sitting up in his you know kitchen with his daughter crying all night right before he begins the now famous Montgomery Bus Boycotts. We've all been at that table, yeah, sitting there, crying kid, and you just you don't even hear it anymore. You're just done. Yeah, but you can't sleep. No matter what important historic moment is ahead of you for the next day.
1: <laughs> Hello and welcome to Dad Explaining, a weekly chronicle of all the weirdest, messiest, grossest, and funniest parts of fatherhood hosted by two first-time dads. I'm Jesse. And this week, we are going to be trying something new that we're going to do from time to time here on the show, we're gonna be looking back at famous dads in history, maybe they weren't famous for being dads, but they were historical figures, people whose names we know now, but they were also dads and they went through some of the same things that we go through as parents. And we're going to look at how they handled those situations uh, and draw inspiration from how they approached parenting and marriage and leaving a legacy and all of the things that go into being a parent. But before we get into all of that, if you would like to connect with us, if you've got questions as a parent, if you'd like to tell us what you liked and didn't like about this episode or any episode, or if you've got stories of your own to share, you can find Dadsplaining on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search Dadsplaining. We're the only ones out there with that name, or you can reach us by email at, dadsplainingpodcast at gmail.com. We've also got a parenting group. Look on Facebook for Dadsplaining, a parenting group. It's open to moms and dads alike. It's a great place to meet parents in a similar phase of life, ask questions, get advice, brag on your kids, complain about your kids, or just share stupid parenting memes. Just search for the group, send a join request, and we will gladly accept you. Lastly, if you're enjoying Dad's Planning a Fatherhood podcast, we would be so grateful if you could leave us a reading and a review on Apple Podcasts or the podcasting platform of your choice. Reviews are a quick and easy way to help us spread the word, to help new parents find us and find the resources that we have to offer and help us connect with more parents around the world.
0: Okay, so today uh, we are going to take a little bit of a reflective look at Martin Luther King Jr. as our historical figure and in honor of the fact that MLK Day was just uh, a couple weeks ago for us as we're recording this in January. And uh, I did a little bit of research, uh, tried to look through some of his writings, uh, a little bit of his autobiography, a little bit of some other biographies, this is not exhaustive, but I just wanted to kind of get a sense of, you know, he is someone that we think of, you know, in history as being a really important figure. But at the same time, uh, he was a father. What were his experiences like? Um, Did they resonate with us? So there's some common ground, I'm sure we could mine together. And I, you know, found this to be really interesting. Um, it, It was kind of an experience for me, because we you know, have this common bond. It's something I don't think about. I have a common bond with Martin Luther King Jr. because we were both parents, and you know, there's just some interesting you know quotes that I was able to get uh, from him and from other people around him that uh, we're going to talk through a couple of them, and maybe it can it can speak to you guys as well. So, uh, from my perspective, the husband and wife, the parent foundation relationship is pretty important as well, right? So we are both fortunate, Jesse, to have. Wonderful spouses, um, and a lot of what we do as parents is predicated on that relationship as like a, a really solid foundation piece. And there was a really nice letter that Martin Luther King Jr. wrote to his wife uh, before they ever had kids, and it was talking about you know their relationship a little bit. Uh, I'm going to try to paraphrase. Um, we'll share you know some of the specifics later, but basically, he was talking about how he missed her immensely. And he started to wax a little poetic. Um, you know you think about those earlier days and you're being a little flowery, there's a little bit of the honeymoon, there's a little bit of just like this is my person. Um, and I really got that in kind of reviewing his relationship with his wife in certain excerpts. Um, and it just really speaks to something that's that's wonderful. And you think about your wife, I think about my wife and we we have that same kind of thing, right Like it's it's the foundation, it's the rock. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to read here guys. I'm going to do my best. He was saying, uh, I miss you so much. In fact, much too much for my own good. I never realized that you were such an intimate part of my life. My life without you is like a year without a springtime, which comes to give illumination and heat to the atmosphere saturated by the dark, cold breeze of winter. So pretty good stuff. And then he says, Oh, excuse me. I didn't mean to go off on such a poetical and romantic flight. But how else can we express the deep emotions of life other than in poetry? I love that. Just think about Martin Luther King Jr. just romancing, you know, being a romantic guy for his woman, Mm -hmm. because that's what we all try to aspire to be. Yeah, And it just kind of speaks to that, that nice relationship they have.
1: Well, and it's nice too, because that's something that I think that, um, especially once you become a parent and get in that phase and you have so many different things going on, it's easy to kind of lose track of doing the intentional things sometimes like writing a love letter or a love note or uh, a poem if you're a poetic type you know to your partner you kind of take those things for granted sometimes but to really kind of pay attention to that i mean even when you're in the middle of everything that dr king was in the middle of um if he can do it we can certainly do it you know in our comfy suburban lives um yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm really impressed. And uh, I mean, obviously making myself look bad because I have not written a <laughs> poem for my wife uh, ever. We
0: did in the early days before kids. Right. You yeah, know, we sure. had time for romancing, but it's just nice to think about like, you know, he was writing sappy love letters just like we all did at one point. Probably. Yeah. And there's a couple more instances we'll touch on, too. um, Communications between him and his wife that just kind of continues to establish this kind of relationship, Um, this like really close connection where, you know, you get the sense like they're the right people and that's how they can make, you know, such a good way in life together. And there's a short snippet in particular where he kind of acknowledges to his wife, um, you know, hey, I'm taking on this large role. Uh, It's bigger than me. It has a lot of meaning, but that they together are, you know, kind of one, you know, they understand together what this means, what it means for them and how they're going to kind of tackle it together. And so as he's kind of talking about this with his wife, you know, he reflected, and this is kind of where I'm paraphrasing, that she did not need to be told that we would have even less time together. She seemed undisturbed at the possible danger to all of us in my new position. And he says, you know, that whatever you do, you have my backing. That's what uh, his wife, credit Scott King, said to him. And so that stood out to me because it's really about that unity. It's about two people and they're more or less one at a certain point. And that, you know, even when you come to your spouse, your person with something really trying and difficult, they're just immediately there backing you up.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, you know, you got the romance side of it in the first uh, in that first letter. And then this really highlights the partnership. It's about supporting your partner in their life because we've got our lives individually and then we've got our lives together. We have to remember that our partner has their own individual life too. Mrs. King obviously was really good about uh, recognizing the gravity of what Dr. King was doing and supporting him. And that's something that both husbands and wives can do um, is to recognize what's going on in your partner's life, what their emotional state is like, how crazy work can be, whether they're handling, you know, the mental load of parenting uh, in, in an inordinate amount and doing what you can to, to carry the weight. Uh, because otherwise, you know, what good is the partnership?
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, the language is what always kind of jumps out to me. Like you, you wonder, like, do we all speak and sound as poetic or as fanciful as we imagine? And we obviously think, Looking back, uh, you know, you and I were not alive during this time in our history, but, you know, we just assumed that, you know, MLK is just like this powerful speaker and always the most beautiful language. And, you know, he talked a lot about this kind of concept of like the light after the darkness and, and such. And he actually referred to his wife in similar language. And he was talking about how, you know, times were really tough and she was always standing by him. He said that, you know, in the darkness, I could see a radiant star of unity and he's referring to his wife. And so like he's talking about working through the darkness, seeing the light. She is the light. That's obviously a very nice
1: nod. Yeah. Being able to draw inspiration and encouragement and strength and you know being able to look to your partner in your life and realize, okay, what is all of this for that I'm doing? Yeah, that's necessary. We all need that.
0: Yeah. It just it felt like that was a great way to kind of kick this off is just like reaffirming or just kind of centering ourselves on the fact that like this relationship started off and is a very strong component of who Martin Luther King Jr. is. And then as we kind of think about him as a parent, obviously that's going to spin out from his relationship with his, with his wife. And so I'll talk a little bit about some of his experiences as a parent. And there's just some interesting tidbits that even some things that aren't necessarily quotes, but just, I, I went back and I was kind of shocked because I don't, you know, I'm not a huge buff. On, on MLK. And so I was just kind of learning as I went along and actually learned that before he took his first job as a pastor uh, in Alabama, he had a lot of other job offers. Uh, he could have been a pastor churches in the North. Uh, he could have worked in academia. He was very interested in the world of academia, had some opportunities at a couple of universities, and he actually chose to go to Alabama to be the pastor there. And you just kind of think about the road not taken
1: mm-hmm.
0: a little bit. And, you know, I didn't really know that it could have come down to that decision. And obviously he, you know, thought through that with his wife. He's like, what do I want to do for myself as a person, but what do I want to do for my family? And then, you know, those are things that we all kind of have to think about. We're constantly fighting between our work life and our home life a lot. And he had similar qualms. And there was a funny anecdote, the kind of first anecdote I wanted to highlight about him as a parent. And you think about, okay, I was looking for something that could be like the common suffering of a parent. Not sleeping ever, right? right? Did, did MLK suffer through that? Did he not sleep a lot? Not just because of all of the challenges he's going through, but like because of his kids crying throughout the night. And yes, he did. And in no less than <laughs> the fact that the Montgomery bus boycotts were just about to begin. And the night before, his first daughter wouldn't sleep the entire night. So MLK is just sitting up in his you know, kitchen with his daughter crying all night, right before he begins the now famous Montgomery bus boycotts. So, Oh my God, just like a nice moment of like, we've all been at that table. Yeah. Sitting there crying kid. And you just, you don't even hear it anymore. You're just done. Yeah. But you can't sleep no matter what important
1: historic moment is ahead of you for the next day. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That, I mean, that's, that, that's kind of funny to think about, uh, you know, for anyone that's in that phase, you know, with a newborn where you're up and you're not sleeping and you're cranky and you're snapping at your partner and you don't know why you're so frustrated. Just to just think every parent in history has been exactly where you are. Now, Dr. King was up in the middle of the night with work in the morning work. I mean, as an understatement, um, with a crying kid trying to figure out how to get it to stop crying. Uh, I love that. That's kind of encouraging to feel that, you know, you're on the same page, at least in that small part.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's why I really enjoyed this is just like each of these kind of moments. I was like, I have had that moment. I haven't had the context that he has, uh, but I have had the parenting moments, you know, that he has had in some instances. And there was a nice, you know, topic about, again, going back to that work and family life balance where he was seeking answers as well. And he had to make these decisions that jeopardized uh, his family life. You know, one of the kind of things that was unfortunate was that you know, he was assassinated uh, very young. I believe he was 39, perhaps, uh, when that happened. And you know, his oldest of, I believe, four children was only 12. So he did not have you know a full life as a parent. So there's not as much to draw on, but there's some nice moments where you're still thinking about this. There's plenty of time and experiences that were shared before then. And he was thinking a lot early on about these challenges, like, should I be doing all of this? because I have a family or I want to have a family, how do I balance it all? And he, he says, a, and again, trying to paraphrase here, when I think about my future, I also thought about my family. I had to think of what's best for them. One of the frustrating aspects of my life has been the great demands that come as a result of my involvement in the civil rights movement and the struggle for justice and peace. I have to be away from home a great deal and that takes me away from the family so much. It is just impossible to carry out the responsibilities of a father and husband when you have these kinds of demands. But fortunately, I have a most understanding wife who has tried to explain to the children why I have to be absent so much. I think in some way they understand even though it's pretty hard on them. And uh, I don't know, that's just like, there's not an answer there. It's not like this is the way to do it. It's just in admitting this sucks. Uh, This will not be ideal, but, you know, giving some love to his, you
1: know, wife for trying to present it in the best way possible and, and, you know, being that support system. And that's interesting too, you know, just being able to relate to that is that, you know, maybe we don't all carry the weight of something so heavy and vital as Dr. King had, but we've all been in situations where we can't be there for the family in an instance when we want to or need to, uh, where we have to choose between letting down our family and letting down our job. And sometimes we have to fall on the sword and let down the family and it hurts and it's hard and you have to bear the weight of that. And you know, you realize that your kids feel and see that too. Um, and Dr. King struggled with it just like we do, uh, that, that sensation of, oh man, I'm never going to get that moment back. Uh, or my kids are not going to have me there for that important moment and, uh, trying to figure out how to make up for that and compensate for that. And it does help to have a partner that can fill in the gaps, uh, as best as possible, I guess.
0: Yeah. And I mean, they, they paint the picture a little bit more, but there was also actually a quote from his children and kind of in the collective and, you know, about what it was like for, for them with him as a father. And they just straight up, had, you know, a quote that I found where it was, you know, said, he didn't have a large quantity of time, but the quality of time was remarkable. And so we've talked about that, you know, several times. You know, it's it feels cold and calculating, but if you know you don't have the quantity, you've got to work on the quality and you can still feel good about what you get to put in. If you only get to put in an hour, we talked about right after work, before bedtime, go ham on that hour, (laughs) you know, put it in. Cause that's what they remember. Clearly his kids remembered that there was a lack of quantity of time, but they remember also that there
1: was a, a wonderful quality of the time. Exactly. And that takes, uh, I mean, being as focused as much as possible in the time that you do have, you know, with those kids, uh, for Dr. King, maybe it meant, you know, trying to put aside, Uh, the mental load of what was going on in the civil rights movement while he was spending time with a family. For us, it may mean not checking our emails and putting away our phones, you know, for that. Maybe it's just an hour or two a day, you know, when you get done with the workday that you have with the kids. But uh, turning that low quantity into high quality, uh, I think is so important. And I think it really does make up for if you if you've got a low quantity of time for some reason. Exactly. And
0: it's, again, it was hard to discover how, you know, his own kids felt about him as a father, because for many of them, there were only a few years. Uh, The oldest was 12, I believe, when he, he died. And so there's not a lot of memory to draw on. And there was this kind of sadness, you know, and it was a little heartbreaking just to even do this amount of kind of research that, you know, some of his own kids felt like other people knew him better. The world possibly even knew him better. Uh, you and I might know him better, quote unquote, you know, just like generally speaking because they, you know, he was taken so young and it's tough. There's not a lot of memories, but there were some, there was one um, from two of his oldest and the, the kind of excerpt goes that uh, the oldest uh, living Uh, child, I believe was Yolanda. And she would say that one of her brothers also named Martin uh, had a very clear memory. And he recalls that they spent time at the local YMCA uh, with some of his brothers and sisters, and they were taught by their dad how to swim. And they would spend afternoons on the lawn where he taught them how to throw a baseball. And again, they talked about how this was not the quantity, but the quality. So it's not even, you know, a big story or a big, you know, deep understanding, but it's just like what I remember. And I remember it clearly was spending time at the park, spending time swimming, spending time throwing a baseball. I love that. Yeah. It's uh, making the most out of those memories. Exactly. And, you know, that's the unfortunate part is that I don't have a ton more from you know, his kids on their experiences. I'm sure there's more stories out there for sure. But it's just like, it's harder to kind of have to dig deeper uh, when there wasn't so much time. But, you know, I did also find some nice comments from his wife's, you know, kind of perspective, you Mm -hmm. know, Coretta Scott King, what did she take away from being a wife and mother going through this situation? And, you know, they had four kids, like I talked about. And, There was one interesting one where, you know, this is not necessarily a direct quote, but just kind of the context is that she had, you know, essentially been fighting the fact that uh, her husband had contradictory views of women's roles because he appreciated her personally as a confidant friend and advisor on all of his kind of political aspects. You know, they were very much one to one on you know, racial justice and all of that. But at the same time, she was expected to stay home with the kids. Um, And she, uh, the kind of larger background context is that she was actually a very uh, accomplished singer and went to a kind of what I would assume is something kind of similar to like a music conservatory college at one point in time when they met. And, you know, she didn't pursue a career in singing like she might have. Uh, she stayed home with the kids, and you know, a quote from her is that uh, I once told Martin that although I love being his wife and a mother, if that was all I did, I would have gone crazy. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I felt a calling on my life from an early age, and I knew I had to do something to contribute to the world. So, mm-hmm. you know, it just kind of speaks again to the fact that like we focus on one aspect, uh, we focus on the larger than life story, and there's a very common thread here of you know a family the parents, there's two individuals, you know, they have their own dreams and hopes. And, you know, just because things can work in the way they're set up, you should, you can't be flexible. You can appreciate what your partner brings to the table.
1: And it's, I mean, it's worth noting to, I mean, for one thing, I didn't know that she was a singer, uh, yeah, before they neither were did I. Um <laughs> I knew that they, I think they met. Was it in school when they were both young? Yeah, I think they, they were both.
0: He was getting, I can't remember if it's like his doctorate or mm-hmm. theological seminary degree, but they both met in, I want to say Boston yeah.
1: around the time they were both in school. Yeah. It, it's just interesting that, you know, where life takes you and it's not always where you think it's going to go. And um, I mean, what's so interesting to me, I, I admired Mrs. King so much after Dr. King's assassination, she kind of. Uh, took up the mantle Mm -hmm. and uh, did so much leadership um, with the SELC and the civil rights movement. And, you know, I I don't know exactly a correlation for that other than marriage is a partnership. And sometimes it brings out the best in you. It brings out things in your life, things that you end up doing that you didn't think that you were going to do uh, until your partner maybe saw potential in you in one certain area. Um, And it's interesting that, you know, I'm sure that she felt some, some degree of resentment, in that she had to, you know, be that supporting role while Dr. King was doing all of the work that he was doing. Um, and that after his death, her plans changed. I mean, she could have said, okay, well, now I'm going to go pick up my old dreams. But instead, I think she maybe she found some higher purpose in carrying on his legacy, you know? And then even going back to when Dr. King was trying to figure out uh, which job to take, you know, where to go the North or the South and which church and, uh, or teaching or something like that. You know, that's a decision that they made together. And, yep. you know, there may have been some degree of factoring in, okay, what is going to be best for the family? You know, not necessarily where's my heart pulling me or what would I be happiest doing? Um, I mean, we've all had those conversations, you know, which job do I take? Do I apply to this job? Do I quit this job? I've had so many conversations, uh, with my wife you know, at every juncture and job changes that I've made in my life, um, because once you get married, your decisions don't only affect you anymore. Um, I think Mrs. King understood that, and I think Dr. Right. King understood that too. Um, you have to stop thinking just in terms of deciding for yourself and deciding for all of you, because you're all going in it together. And so, yeah, I think it's really amazing that they had those same thoughts and same critical decisions and they approached them, you know, in many ways, the same way that uh, we approach them with our wives. Exactly. I think it's, you know, it's tough, right? But I think it's one of the things that
0: I felt a common bond and that made me feel better uh, as I went through this. Uh, You know, a point of connection is like, it sounds cruel to say, but through the joint suffering of being a parent, um, knowing that Another person went through the same kind of experiences, however mundane, you know, is just like felt validating, felt like, yes, other people do these things. Yes, other people have these concerns. Yeah. And there were a couple of specific stories from Dr. King about, you know, some traumatic moments in his his historic life and like what he was feeling in the moments. And I'll, I'll give an example that I think was very interesting where he, you know, the Montgomery bus boycott was going on. And it was starting to kind of really pick up some, some heat. Uh, Obviously the local population was not thrilled with this and they were getting a lot of threats uh, to him, to his life, to his family, to his parents, to his kids, terrible things. And so I'm going to kind of read the the situation as he described this moment for him in his life says, I got out of bed and began to walk the floor. I had heard these things before, but for some reason that night it got to me, I turned over and I tried to go to sleep, but I couldn't sleep. I was frustrated, bewildered, and then I got up. Finally, I went to the kitchen and heated a pot of coffee. I was ready to give up. With my cup of coffee sitting untouched before me, I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing a coward. I sat there and thought about a beautiful little daughter who had just been born. I'd come in night after night and see that gentle smile. I started thinking about a dedicated and loyal wife who was over there asleep and she could be taken away from me or I could be taken from her. And I got to the point that I couldn't take it any longer. I was weak. Something said to me, you can't call on daddy now. You can't even call on mama. You've got to call on something in that person that your daddy used to tell you about that power that can make a way out of no way. With my head in my hands, I bowed over the kitchen table and prayed aloud. The words I spoke to God that midnight are still vivid in my memory. Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. I think I'm right. I am here taking a stand for what I believe is right. But Lord, I must confess that I'm weak now. I'm faltering. I'm losing my courage. Now I am afraid. And I can't let the people see me like this because if they see me weak and losing my courage, they will begin to get weak. The people are looking to me for leadership and if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I am at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. And there's a a lot there, but I mean, it's just like, even just rereading it again, like I'm getting a little emotional because it's just like, I mean, this is a person who is like, you know, I have these things that I care more about mm-hmm. than anything. My child, my wife, like I can't do this. Like he is at the end of a rope essentially of like, I, and, you know, just like hearing him freely admitting, like, I can't do it. I'm not going to make it. Um, I can't be a coward, but like, I want to get out of here. Like, imagine, you know, there's so many things I think about. I'm just like, imagine if he'd just given up <laughs> Yeah. and, and, you know, thankfully for him. And, you know, this is, this is what it's, you know, happened for him in this moment is that he felt like he had a good insight through prayer and his kind of relationship Mm -hmm. uh, with God that kind of got him past this moment. Yeah. But it's just kind of knowing that someone goes through this and is like, our circumstances aren't going to be the same as it is, but like, you just feel like I don't have it anymore. Uh, I need to stop this. I've got the family that I need to be thinking about instead.
1: Yeah. And how lucky are we that he chose to make that moment of vulnerability public and available to history, you know, that we now know about this to know that, you know, even the people who seem the strongest and seem the most iconic have those weak, low moments where they have to admit that they're scared, uh, that they're frustrated, that they're tired. That's just so amazing. And uh, Brandon, I know you're uh, starting to run out of time here uh, for this week's episode. Um, but, you know, one thing I wanted to point out, you know, in the lasting legacy of Dr. King is that his kids went on to carry that torch uh, in many ways, being leaders in faith leaders in the civil rights space uh, making positive changes in the world um, and think they were young when he was taken away from them. It wasn't a matter of him pressuring them to follow in his footsteps, uh, as happens, unfortunately, with so many families. Um, It was them really seeing the example that he set and saying, that is what I want to do with my life, uh, because that is what my father did so well. And I think that sometimes that's one of the best gifts that we can give to our kids is leaving a positive example and living our lives in a way that, you know, when we get to the end of it, if they can look at what we did and say, that's inspiring, that's worth living for, and then doing the same thing, I, you know, I think in, in many ways we've succeeded.
0: Yeah. Agreed. And, uh, you know, for those listening, thanks for letting us kind of take us all through this kind of trip. It was interesting and you know just for me what I ended up pulling on, you know, were just things that felt like something to me that I was glad to know or I was glad to have heard happened. And sometimes it can feel a little um I don't know what the right word is, but you know, you, these moments of weakness, right? I mean, they're the things that stand out to me. They're the things where I'm just like it's different degrees, but you know, you feel those things and as a parent the weight feels different. And it's just You know, that's what makes me feel, you know, a new wave of respect and admiration and love toward, you know, someone like this who, you know, you think you know for various reasons. And you're just like, this is a person who was a husband and a father going through immense things. And they were always thinking about that. They were thinking about their family and it made it harder for them. And it isn't because uh, only parents have hard lives, but just because that's a component that is a universal touch point for a lot of us. And so I don't know, it just evokes in me like why we're even here talking to each other today. Mm -hmm. Because I think about if I'd been told X, you know, it would have at least made me feel like someone else has gone through that. And I don't know, that's kind of what I think about for our show. It may not be the most important show in the world, but the only reason I kind of want to do it is because hopefully somebody else will hear some of the things we're talking about and be like, oh, that happened to me too. Yeah. Or that means
1: something to me because I heard somebody else went through it exactly yeah we don't always have the answers but we can at least put a name to what it is that parents are going through and say you're not the only one dealing with this we may not know how to fix it but we can commiserate with you we've been there we're going through it we got through it so you can get through it too before we go we got a question in the comment section of our facebook live stream while recording today this question came from paul paul asks how do you show your marriage to your kids And I think that's actually a really important Part of your parenting life is to provide a positive example to your kids for what a healthy marriage or partnership should look like. For me and my wife, Ashley, that means not being afraid to show affection in front of our son David. Uh, he's three years old now. And, uh, you know, doing lots of I love you's and hugging and kissing uh, is really important. And one thing that I think that we also we don't always do perfectly, but I think it's important to do is not to hide the fact that you may disagree uh, everyone's in a while or step on each other's toes or do something that hurts the other person's feelings and walk through that in a positive way. So when that happens, when those conflicts come up to be able to apologize and forgive each other in front of your kid so that they can see that example of conflict resolution and the example of a partnership, a relationship is not always going to be perfect, um, but you can walk through those moments and you can talk through what happens and you can reach a resolution in a, in a positive and loving and comforting way. Uh, You know, that's something that I don't think we always do perfectly. No one's going to get that uh, 100% right 100% of the time. Um, But that's something that we strive for anyway. So I think that those are some great ways to, you know, show your kid that they've got two parents that love each other. So, Paul, I hope that answers your question. Thanks for asking that. And, Folks, anytime you're listening to us uh, live uh, as we record our episodes almost every week live on Facebook, don't be afraid to ask questions, even if it's off topic, even if it's not what we're talking about that week. We'd love getting questions from folks, even if we don't know the answers because Brandon and I are not experts, um, but we're always happy to try our best to answer your question or provide some insight into what you're going through or at the very least commiserate with you and say, yeah, we've been there. It sucks. So that'll do it for this week's episode. I want to thank Brandon for doing all of the research and finding all of those quotes, excerpts, and letters from Dr. King. I really enjoyed hearing all of that. And I learned some things that I didn't know. Uh, I hope you did too. Once again, if you'd like to connect with Planning, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search Planning, And you can join the Facebook group, Planning: a parenting group. You can also reach us by email at dadsplainingpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time. The advice and opinions expressed on Dad's Planning are solely those of its hosts and guests and should not be substituted for the advice of professionals. If you have a serious concern about the health or development of your child, please consult with your pediatrician. If you're experiencing an emergency, please call 911. Don't listen to us. We're really just good for dad jokes. If you're enjoying Dad's Planning, you might enjoy this other podcast from our friends here at WSB Radio. Hello, friends. This is Jared Yamamoto from the PowerPod, and
0: we are a weekly recap show where we cover the current events of the week. And, of course, during these times, COVID-19 is on everybody's mind. We will cover the good the bad and the ugly regarding this crisis we will be serious with the coronavirus but we will also find ways to have fun with it as well so be sure to check us out saturdays from 11 to noon and sunday mornings from 9 to 11 on 98.7 fm and am 1340 wgau or grab the PowerPod podcast on any of your favorite podcast providers or your favorite smart speaker